So I'm over the moon to announce that we've got a new sponsor. It's BDO, who are the trusted accountancy and advisory firm that you may know. BDO is the perfect partner for our podcast, as we both love to help entrepreneurs build high-value businesses, and BDO are always there to help advise people like you on how to succeed. I had the pleasure of meeting a few of the team at the Publican Awards, and I found out they were massive fans of the podcast, were obsessed with the success of our industry, and also a million miles away from the grey-suited drones that you usually deal with. To check out more about BDO and how they can help you get to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Supersonic! 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 From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up, tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. So I'm out and about in Shoreditch and it's a little bit noisy, um, so sorry for that. But I've got an amazing podcast for you today and it's with one of the true legends of street food and of our industry. So this is the one I've been waiting for and today's episode is hopefully what the world has been waiting for. It's an action-packed episode and a bit of a jaunt through the life of a Mancunian entrepreneur, he's a Manu fanatic, he's an East London dweller, and to me, he's the godfather of street food curation. It is Mr. JD, or as he's known to most people, Jonathan Downey. Just a huge amount of respect for all that JD's achieved. He's the most down-to-earth guy, and in this podcast, he gives me an honest and humble account of how he's built, with the help of his partners and his teams, but how he's built one of the most iconic street food brands, Street Feast, and also his other businesses like London Union, and all of the steps that it's taken him to get there. So he's had a first coming, a second coming, and a third coming. He's a lot of setbacks, but the resilience and the entrepreneurialism of the man has just made sure that he's stayed at the top, and boy, is there so much more to see from him. So it gives me the most pleasure I'm ever <laughs> <laughs> to be east as east with Mr. Jonathan Downey. East side. East side. Yeah, west is best, isn't it? Uh, no. Definitely not. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me at your office. No problem. Um, they're looking really nice. Yeah, yeah. We've been here three years now, I think. Happy team. Yeah, really good. Uh, we've got a marketing team of about five or six. We've got a sales and events team, four or five there. Mm-hmm. We've got a finance team of four. We've got people doing property and campaigns. And we've got, uh, we've got, we share our office with uh, an illustrator called Mr. Bingo. Right, because when I came in and yeah. I saw the sign, I was like, I wonder. Yeah, yeah oh, that's cool. And we've got a couple of graphic designers in and we've got the Yumbun uh, head office team here as well. So. Right. We kind of do a bit of hot desking for some of our traders if they want it and anyone else who's just looking for a bit of workspace really because we've got some nice meeting rooms and 
good biscuit collection and salt and vinegar squares yeah giant bags <laughs> giant bags um, yeah the yum bun thing is just incredible right yeah the, just... I, I think Lisa's brilliant and uh, one of the first ones is sort of the new wave of street food traders I think she started in 2011 at um, Broadway Schoolyard Market I can still remember my first yum bun yeah. and thinking my god Never had anything like this. Absolutely delicious. And uh, she's just sort of gone on and tried a few things here and there. She's at Spitalfields Market as well. Okay. Uh, a few of our sites. She's going into the new Curb site in Seven Dials, which I think will be great for her. And uh, she's also uh, gone from Yumbun and opened a new business alongside it called Yumplings. Yes. And she's just done an absolutely fantastic job of that because we were desperate to get some dumplings in about two years ago, 18 months, and we really tried. We tried every dumpling going in London. Which is not a hardship. And, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> and uh, just didn't really find any that I thought were good enough, really. Mm. And mentioned it to Lisa, and she said, yeah, I'd love to have a go, and she's got absolutely delicious. I mean, her food is just oh, superb. And her team and her branding and just her whole approach to things. Mm. She's a new mum. She's got this lovely daughter. Oh, and uh, she's still cracking on, and I just, like... I just love the way she carries the business and the brand and everything forward. Yeah, yeah. We need a few more leases. Yeah, well, yeah. We're, we're going to get into that probably. <laughs> um, so it's probably a good idea to go back a bit. Um, and I know you're definitely one for celebrating others and not blowing smoke up yourself. But I think everyone would be interested to know a, a little bit about you, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, and then we can jog on to the other stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I think I've been in hospitality now 22 years nearly. Um, my background is mostly bars. Before that, I was a corporate lawyer in the city and I worked in London. You didn't know that? You didn't know that? No. I was, yeah, I was, ah. yeah, I was one of the top firms. Um, I came down from Manchester in my Emporio Marnie suit. <laughs> Big green thing off the shoulder job in 1990. <laughs> About 10 pleats. <laughs> 10 pleats in it. Like that. It was like that. Cuban Pete. Or if you've seen... Um, Denzel Washington and Spike Lee and oh, uh, Malcolm X yes. when they give it that walk. <laughs> I rocked up into the city like one of the top ten like firms, a pimp. and I looked like yeah, exactly. <laughs> I looked like my granddad Jim in you know sort of post-war in his little spiff suit, you know, and did that for about eight years. Lived in uh, Hong Kong for a year, Ooh. set up an office in Abu Dhabi for two years, and then my last year as a lawyer, I worked for a New York City law firm. Spent a lot of time in New York, yeah. but was heading up the restructuring team in the London office. Uh, and then there was a kind of a two-year overlap of being a lawyer and opening bars, one in Clerkenwell Match, you see one and one in the West End Match Bar, which is the new meat liquor it in its new Mark home. Mark two, Yeah, Mark two, yeah. Yeah, great. So I got into bars because I wanted to do something for myself. I didn't particularly fit in well with a kind of like pinstripe city yeah. solicitor, although I really enjoyed working with a lot of clever people and very professional colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um and I enjoy the kind of the international aspects of business and, you know, and working for some really interesting clients. When I was in the Middle East, I did a lot of, jokingly we call it arms dealing because we're <laughs> okay. acting for the government there and the royal yeah. family and they were buying, you know, defence weapons, mm-hmm. tanks from the French, Blimey. fast jets from the Americans, boats from the Brits because they were worried about what Iran or Iraq might yeah. do. They didn't just buy weapons, they also bought the support from countries like that. Britain and America in case there was an invasion Uh, and so that was exciting times in fact going there for two years uh, and coming back with a pile of expat cash because there's no tax and accommodations paid for and able to buy a flat here right by Old Street and um, 
dogged my first bar. Yeah. Put £25,000 in. And that was match? That was match, you see one in Clerkenwell, yeah. Borrowed a bit of money from the bank. Evenings and weekends, found the site. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of the digging and the, and the shoveling and the, uh, the scraping and the, you know, all that myself and before we got the proper builders in. Mm. Bit of the decorating and uh, off we went really. And we, we, were, we opened in a part of town where there wasn't much at the time. There was St John around the corner, the restaurant. Yeah. Which was well regarded then, mm -hmm. locally, but not well, not well known. Yeah, yeah. And not world famous yeah. <clears throat> the way it is now. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of years after we opened, I think Fabric opened, Smiths of Smithsfield opened. It's a couple of big... Yeah. But it's brought draw. into the area. But still on the weekends, that bit of Clark, you know, yeah. between kind of City Road and, I don't know, uh, Southampton Road, or even actually going more towards Soho, this, it's kind of like midtown, it's a, a bit quiet. Zone. It's a yeah, dead zone. Yeah, yeah. So that was just 22 years ago, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, the first bar, we were lucky that we won Evening Standard Bar of the Year in our first few months, and that really helped us um, take off, along with the fact that we were opening a style of bar that was serving cocktails uh -huh. in a, on a kind of a high street mm -hmm. at a time when bars like the Met Bar had just opened, when Momo had just opened. Mm -hmm. There's a bar called Home had opened in Shoreditch mm -hmm. and Alphabet in Soho. Oh, I remember Alphabet. Yeah. Is that Beak Street? A Beak Street. Yeah. I used to love that bar. That's yeah. Great bar. So it was like a string of bars that opened in London at the same time. It's kind of like a zeitgeist, I suppose. That's a bit like scene. Bit like a scene, yeah. and so we were all kind of doing similar or overlapping things, and we were thought fortunate and match because although we're in the middle of nowhere and no one ever came to that part of Clerkenwell for a drink at night, we were fortunate because you know Kate Moss was drinking a Cosmopolitan in the Met Bar and then getting in trouble or whatever, and yeah. that was all over the papers. And you can get the same drink at Match Bar just by coincidence. Yeah. We weren't copying or anything, and nobody's copying anyone. We we're just all doing a similar thing at the same time, and that really helped promote or encourage people to come and try what we were doing because um, you know they weren't going to get into the Met Bar, but you could get into Match Bar. Yeah, so it was like a private club for everyone sort yeah, of thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We were trying to democratise quality drinking. Yeah, That's yeah. what I was saying from the outset yeah. to our bartenders, to our team. Yeah. Let's make the best drinks we can with the best ingredients we can, but let's make sure they're available to everybody. But so going back, I mean, Chris, there's so many questions, but go, going <clears> by A, like the naming of it and all that yeah. stuff, I mean, where, where did that come from? Oh, God, we had all sorts of... Because I had a couple of business partners in the first year uh -huh. and uh, we had nightmares trying to choose the name and I had to throw my toys out of the car on more than one occasion. We weren't going to... Somebody wanted to call it CW45s. Right. Which I may want to explain there that comes from. Someone <laughs> okay. wanted to just call it Bar London. Which, it's you know, quite generic. Yeah, it might have been, yeah. Might have been all right. 97, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just liked, at the time, my idea was I wanted to create the next generation of bar brand uh -huh. because I'd moved to London in 1990 from Manchester, uh -huh. which was the capital of the world for going out for about four or five years. Uh -huh. Late 80s, early 90s, nowhere better on the planet. Yeah. If you were straight or gay, to go out and have a great time. You know, Ecstasy had arrived, the Hacienda had been around for a few years. I was 17 when the Hacienda opened, so it was good timing for me. Perfect. And I moved to London in 1990, and I just couldn't believe how boring the bar and nightclub scene was yeah. compared to my hometown. Yeah. And I thought, I'm moving the wrong way at the wrong time. I mean, obviously, I was coming down here to work. and um, so I, But I used to go back every two weeks to watch the match, because I was a big Man United fan, and to go out. And I, the Gay Village happened in the mid-'90s mm -hmm. in Manchester. I thought that was fantastic. I'd never been anywhere apart from Singapore where it had so much life and vibrancy yeah. and the, the neon and the music and every venue you went into, they had a brilliant sound system, they were playing the right music. And yeah, I just yeah. thought, Manchester, 
fucking rules. Yeah. This is great. So I went up there. You still do. Let's be honest. You still do. Well, I've gone through about a 20 phase, <laughs> 20 year period of really loving London and thinking this is the best city on the planet. But I'm getting back into Manchester a bit more mm. recently. It feels like it's coming into its own again now. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I forgot where I was going on that now. But anyways. Uh, was it just about the name, the name oh, and yeah. all that stuff? So, that sorry, yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to create the next generation bar band. And in London and throughout the UK, you've got All Bar One, Picture and Piano, mm-hmm. Slug and Lettuce. It was that kind of name. And I didn't mm-hmm. want a name that was like that. I wanted something that was one word and didn't even mean a bar yeah. or didn't even mean, didn't sound like it might be a pub. It would, But it would sound different, like, what's that? And yeah. So that's where we came up with the word match. And then... Uh, when when I came up with the name Match, let's call it Match Bar, because it sounds like a sports bar. So that's, right. It's going to become what we make of it. Yeah, yeah. Forget the sports yeah. bar context. It sounds like you should smoke there or cigarettes. Like, you know, everyone always says, everyone always pisses on that. You know. Exactly. Anyway, I stuck to it. And, and then we came up with a vague idea at the beginning that as we've got this name Match, and I've always been quite, um, not traditional, I don't know what the right word is. I, I like to, I spent a lot of time in France mm-hmm. as my Mum and dad moved out there a long time ago. Mum's still there. I like the way um, the French eat food and I like mm-hmm. the way they start with an aperitif and then they'll move through white wine and red yeah. wine with matching, you know, and, and things work with things yeah. and then go to cheese and then go to dessert. In the yeah. UK, we've got it the wrong way around. You don't have cheese after dessert. Yeah. yeah that's For me, That's I've always felt like the wrong yeah, way around. Yeah. I like the way, and I, I think there's kind of like a way you should do certain things. Mm-hmm. Like... I know a lot of brands and restaurants try and sell cocktails with food. I just think yeah. that's stupid. Don't sell a cocktail. Cocktails don't work with food. Beer uh, works with food. Yeah. Wine works with yeah. food. Water works I, with food. I wonder about that. So, like, yeah. in fact, I was somewhere. Oh no, I seen someone on Instagram, one of these, you know, hashtag influencers, and she's sitting and she's going happy, and she was in like, is it Lino? Lino? What do you call yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Lino. Lino. Yeah. So Lino in there. Some kind of cocktail and they go with a plate of pasta. And yeah, just no. even my taste buds were going. No, no, you what? can't do it. No, you, you can't do it. The sugar doesn't work with it. It's, 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 the citrus doesn't work with it. Yeah. It's, it's wrong. Yeah, I was just... Anyway, um, but was that why bars? I know you said you wanted to do something for you, but did you work in a lot of bars before and you were into it? Or? No, not at all. In no. fact, no, it's quite a boring story. I mean, I never really drank as a kid. I, I, um, I grew up in a, you know, my dad wasn't a big drinker. My mum wasn't she occasional gin and tonic. Um... I didn't drink, I didn't enjoy a beer until I was 19 and I visited America. And uh, I was staying in an apartment in Boston and my neighbours had a cake party, went down and tried out members of Bex uh-huh. on draft. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, that's what beer tastes like. And I grew up around Skull and Harp and yeah. all that horrible beer. Yeah, yeah. And it's warm and it's in this dingy pub with angry, you know, unhappy yeah. men. You know, and it, or you're at a house party and someone's yeah. giving you a warm can, and a you're just can like, and you know, I mean, I'm old enough to re- remember like what his party seven and all those kind of things oh, yeah. from the seventies. <laughs> you know, and that, I just wasn't into that. So, I mean, I just wasn't. I didn't grow up around that. I mean, I've also said a few times that I never ate out in a restaurant until I was nineteen. That same summer in Boston was the first time I went to yeah. a restaurant. So, just my background, we just didn't do that. Look, same, right? So, no. working class. Yeah. Stuff you know, where we were both from similar cities. I think Glasgow and Manchester are very aligned. Yeah, and yeah, and and you know, you talk to people, and it was normal life for them. They go out to a restaurant. We never did that. You know, yeah, and never, never get wine till I was really late. Never get into the, the food settings until I was really late. It was actually my dad. So my dad travelled. Right. Because well, he's working. He's like a mechanic, fixed boats. You know, yeah. hang upside down an engine room for seventeen hours a day. But he came back with coffee from Brazil. Ooh. At the time, you know, when you were just used to, you know, Nescafe and the... 
sounds in the kitchen and all that. Um, and then he also, yeah, he came back with this thought that he was going to be a bit gallus, as they say in Scotland, and he was going to have a cigar and he was going to have a bit of brandy at night yeah. and he wasn't going to have his dinner till eight or nine o'clock. He was in France a lot. And, yeah. and he kind of brought all that. But that was the first time you got to kind of go, all right, this, yeah. is, this is all right. I, like I this. definitely did a bit of that as I was getting into my late teens and early 20s yeah. and discovering things for the first time. Yeah. I definitely did a bit of that, you know, yeah. with a bottle of champagne and a... And thinking never had bubbles before and yeah. a cigar as well, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think mean, it makes you try more everything. grateful, actually, yeah. in a way. You know, I, I definitely still appreciate everything. In fact, I, it's helped me sort of not just eat or drink for the sake of it. Yeah. I've never been. I mean, I drink a lot and I eat out a lot, but I've never just done it for the sake of it or out of habit. I kind of, you know, if I'm going to have a croissant, for instance, yeah. which maybe once a week I'll have a croissant yeah. for breakfast. I want to make sure I have the right kind of croissant. I don't yeah. just want to have any old croissant. Don't want to run out of the fucking freezer or, you know, out yeah, of a yeah. six-pack in plastic. Yeah. Um, and I want to make sure I can have a proper cup of coffee with it. And that's yeah. the way I want to enjoy my coffee and croissant. Yeah. If I can't have it that way, I won't bother. Yeah. I'll have oh, something yeah. else instead, yeah. you know. So after match, well, what happened with match then? What was the kind of story? Uh, so um, first bar was a success. Opened the second bar in the West End, which was a massive success. Yeah. And I thought we were doing well in East London at the time, 97. We opened this three times bigger space in the West End and I couldn't believe like the footfall and the numbers like wow and then <clears throat> that was so successful I, I didn't need the day job anymore and I resigned uh, from the uh, New York City law firm I was working for they offered me a consultancy to stay on but I tried that for a couple of weeks mm. and I was just so into the bars then yeah. um, and so was that a relief to <clears throat> come up corporately not really it was a fucking nightmare actually the first year I think the worst mistake I ever made they offered me £60,000 to stay on for 10 hours a week and I kept my massive corner office on Moorgate here. <laughs> my brilliant, amazing PA, Jackie, ran my life. Yeah, yeah. And um, the, the resources of an international law firm. And they said the 10 hours can be in the office, they can be on the phone, conference calls, they can be at a lunch, they can be on the golf course, they don't play golf, but, you know, we just need you around as this. Because I had a, as an expert in a specialist area, yeah. and, you know, in order to pitch for work and ensure clients that we can get these jobs, and then it, then we might need to pull you in on a transaction. But <clears throat> And I, I said yes to that £60,000, so that's a lot of money. For, well, for sure. Know, in the late 90s. Yeah, yeah. And I lasted two weeks because I was so immersed in opening my second site that yeah. I just couldn't deliver on it. And I felt like I was letting them down. Mm. Um, and that was the worst decision I ever made because, I mean, there was no, I mean, there was an internet, but I had no, you, you still use fax machines. I couldn't type. I couldn't do anything I needed mm. to do to make this, this opening happen, the marketing of it or the hiring of it or, the, you know, anything. And then, I, you know, we opened Match Bar in uh, October 99 and then... We opened Social, which is an even bigger site with mm -hmm. a later license, just around the corner here on Tabernacle Street in Shoreditch. We opened that opened in June, uh, two thousand. So like yeah. eight months later, and I think, you know, from a very nervy start, I'd got three really successful bars then in about a twenty-two month period. Mm -hmm. It was you know, and um, including late licenses. We've kind of social was a DJ bar, which I'd, I, I'm sure it existed somewhere. I'd, I'd not been into a DJ bar. Yeah. We just by accident got this late license, and I thought, you know, at the time there was no, um, it was still 11 o'clock licensing hours right. for a lot of places, and you still get kicked out of the pub then. You still have to go around the corner if you want a late drink and pay to get into a club yeah, or yeah. somewhere. You know, around here it was 333, or uh, you could wander into Charlie Wright's for a late drink or somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. But 
And, and we just said, well, we've got this three o'clock license. We, just, we can be a restaurant during the day and early evening, then a bar in the late evening, and then we can, if we get a decent sound system, yeah. and then some decks in, we can be go, become a late bar, not yeah. a club till 6 a.m., but a, a late bar yeah, till 3 a.m. Vibes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, three nights a week. And we put on club nights that would go till 6 a.m. Some, once a month. And it was just brilliant, you know, just like a real moment for us, really. Yeah, and what about self-care? <laughs> all these kind of things, you know, like burnout... Because, oh, you know, yeah. all these kind of things, you know, what what was the trappings of this new life as well? Um, I don't... I mean, I'm probably not the best person to answer that, but um, I don't think I got caught up in it too much. Yeah, that's I cool. mean, I think, you know, and I never really worked in the sites. I'm not I'm not a bartender. I'm not, a, you know, a general manager. I'm not... I don't Ooh. have that. I'm not any good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I definitely enjoyed, you know, what we were doing, and I... Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd just become a dad for the first time in 97, and then again in oh, 2000. Right at the same time. Yeah, and then again in 2003. Again, so I've got four kids, five years and under by 2003, <laughs> 2004. So that was all going on. That, that you know, holds you down a bit yeah. and keeps you steady. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think uh, we had some brilliant times, but I'm a big believer in the um, places that you've got to find, like, your level for Ooh. a business and where you're going to settle like you can have like these spikes of you know liveliness and uh, heydays and little you know hedonistic moments mm-hmm. and whatever and openings yeah. but fundamentally you've got to find a level at which and you go in knowing that yeah. and you may spike up and you'll drop down but you've got to drop down to the level that you're happy with you don't yeah. want to go you don't want to mess it up mm. and, it, and you end up being lower than where you hope to be yeah. and I think I've always you know I've always paid for my drinks I mean sometimes I forget but I've always paid for my drinks I've always insisted on that when I wander around Dinorama now for a bite to eat somewhere, I always insist on paying. Sometimes mm-hmm. the traders say, you don't have to pay, JD, you don't have to pay. I say, yeah. yeah, of course I have to pay That's because sweet. you have to pay when you go to the bar. And, you know, this is a job. It's a, it's an approach in a professional way. I'm not here just to have a good time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can have that as well, but not just to have a good time. Yeah, yeah. And then going on from there, then three bars, busy. What was next? Uh, then uh, after we opened socials and we were, you know, we thought we were like, Superpowers of, and uh, we were having a you know really three in a row great you know big hit mm-hmm. bars. I think I rented a villa in Ibiza in the summer two thousand and one for about ten weeks. Massive villa, like twelve rooms, and um, I probably spent about six or eight weeks there that summer. And just invited a succession of mates and contacts out, and every morning you'd wake up and they're like new friends to play with, and. <laughs> <clears throat> but it was also a bit of a, a turning point because I'd set out to ro- open this new next generation of bar brand. Mm-hmm. We got three in nearly a couple of years. And then while we were in Ibiza, we heard that The Player, which is this great bar I loved in Soho, downstairs, uh-huh. late license, sort of lounge bar, 120 capacity, only small, but a really good vibe in there. I'd gone into uh, receivership <clears throat> and the receivers were selling for 150,000 quid. And so um, word came to us in Ibiza and uh, I knew the guy who was advising the receiver, he'd sold us the match bar site. And I said, let's, to my mate Rick, my business partner Rick, we could do that. And it wasn't really the strategy. Mm-hmm. But I thought, oh, it's, the, it's the player. Yeah, it's the good it's the one. player. Yeah, yeah. And it's 150 grand, you know, and we'd spent more than that on the first bar. <laughs> we spent about a million on social, the third one. Blame so, so this was 150 grand, like all in. Just for the receipt, you right. take over the site. Right. And then we spent 50K on it in a week, and we literally had it open in a week, a week later. Brand new carpet, new bar system, p- 
had liquor paint, you know, I mean, literally massive deep clean. And we had, we had a late licensed, I mean, I owned a late licensed right. basement lounge bar in Soho, for fuck's sake. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's 2001. <laughs> We've not even been doing it four years. And yep. so, actually we had been doing it four years just then. And so, and that was brilliant. And we put a function one sound system in there and all that. And we had some brilliant bartenders there doing great drinks and it, a really good scene. It was one of the few places you go to in Soho, have a drink and a dance, mm-hmm. you know, and that was really important at the time. And then at the time, I was also writing for Esquire magazine on drinks and bars. I had a page, yeah, drinks yeah, and a page for about yeah. two years, three yeah. years. And I'd heard about this guy in um, uh, New York called Dale DeGroff, mm-hmm. who was like the Dick Bradsell of uh, American bars. Dick Bradsell yeah. was like Cliff Richard to Dale's Elvis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant at what he does, but you know, different yeah. level when you get to the States. And I really wanted to meet the guy. I, I'm, I'm sure he'd made me a martini at the promenade bar at the Rainbow Room in the mid-90s. I'm oh. convinced of it, but I'd never actually met him. Yeah. And so I went out there, on, you know, ostensibly for uh, Esquire magazine to meet Dale. And he was doing a thing called a cocktail safari around Manhattan. And we went to seven bars in that night with about ten of us. And we had two drinks at every bar. And at the end of those seven bars, it was only me and Dale still up for it. Still going. <laughs> <laughs> and he said... Uh, he said, we should go and see this bar downtown that, you, um, that you're not allowed to write about, though, and you're not really allowed to tell anyone about it. And he said, it's, uh, the guy doesn't want anyone to know about it, and uh, you've got to promise me that. I said, all right, you're cool. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. So I went downtown to Eldridge Street, and he took me into Milk and Honey. Uh-huh. And it was empty. This the size of a railway carriage, dimly lit, immediately captivated by the vibe and the feel of the place, the jazz soundtrack, uh, and there's this sort of, Six foot figure in a Savile Row suit standing behind the bar, looking a bit lonely. Sasha Potaski, the guy who set up Milk and Honey. Wow. And we went and sat at the bar, had a glass of rye whiskey, and I'm just sat there thinking, this is brilliant. Yeah. How do we get this in London? And I knew how we got it in London because I'd taken on a site in Poland Street in Soho, which is this big sort of like five story townhouse vibe that was no good for a match bar, no good for a player style thing. Yeah. What the hell do I do with this? And, and then I walked into Milking in Manhattan. I just thought, well, this is what we do. We do three floors of this in London. So but before I finished my whiskey, I said to Sasha, I don't know him for 20 minutes, um, have you ever thought about doing one of these in London? I love this. She said, I'd love to go to London. I've never been. I love everything about London. Wow. Yeah. And almost to the day, give or take a week, we opened Milking in London a year later. And then that then got rave reviews, all, yeah. all that stuff. So what sort of followed... Oh, and within another bar in Notting Hill called Trailer Happiness, which was mm-hmm. super popular within the bartender community. Opened a hotel in the French Alps called the Clubhouse in Chamonix, which is, I love that, that was brilliant. Uh, and then I think I took a couple of years off because the kids, you know, kids, kids. Yeah, yeah. And then we opened, um, where are we now? I think we opened a big bar, restaurant, uh, DJ bar in Melbourne called Match Bar and Grill. Got back on the match tip then and then we opened a bar in Ibiza called Match Bar Ibiza which had five match bars at the time and then uh, we opened a site in Shoreditch just around here called the East Room mm-hmm. and uh, with the um, it's like a members club because there's a members element to Milk and Honey because mm-hmm. of the licence and it's kind of like three floors of the size of this office space it's about 10,000 square feet over mm-hmm. three floors and we had a great restaurant there we had a nice rooftop uh, we had a brilliant bar we did 96 wines by the glass this was 2008 I think Still much needed now, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. It was a really great venue, that, and people really liked it. We were lucky with the space and did a good job on the design. 
And um, we, our ambition then, 2008, remember, was to have the second best members clubs in London after Soho House. Right. No, that's like, we want to be the second best. Yeah, <laughs> they've got a bit hard to do, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, with 50% female, 50% male membership, which was unusual at the time, yeah. we weren't limiting ourselves to creative industries only like Soho House, so we had a few city financing that they were fine, they were the right kind. Mm-hmm. It was going really well, and then um, and then that we, we lost that in a fire in 2010. Yeah. At the time, I was told by the fire brigade, it was the biggest fire in London in 40 years. The entire building went, started with a tea light that didn't go out at the end of the shift, that was on the ground floor. Sorry, the East Room was above Social, so right. we had the whole building there. So Social and the East Room went, and that required just a complete rethink about where we were because the insurance company took seven years to pay out on that. Like, you know, you're talking about not quite £10 million claim. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask about that then. So, yeah. A, the fear, like, I'm the biggest scaredy cat in the world with risk and all these things. Whereas with yourself, there's just a fearlessness about let's open, let's open, let's open, let's open. I mean, I think did, did you ever pause or get concerned or I what th- was going on there? I think at the time in London, I mean, it was a bit, it's a lot easier for me then than it is for anyone doing it now. Yeah. Because wasn't really any competition or mm. the competition that there was wasn't very good mm. these days anything that opens is everything's great I mean you know the staff are well trained the drinks are good you know at the time we were competing with bars and pubs that would ask if you want ice and lemon in your gin and tonic you know yeah. or you know if you wanted food it was a it was a microwave pizza I mean we weren't competing with exceptional yeah. quality or standards like like nowadays so it was a bit easier I think it was a bit more Wild West era as well in terms of licensing and, mm-hmm. you know, and which is the opposite of where we are now, where, yeah. you know, especially around here in Hackney, they're trying to really stop new stuff. I mean, we were doing things that didn't, you know, Milk and Honey style bar did not exist in London at the time, mm-hmm. but, and you know, Trailer Happiness did not exist. Yeah. Even Match Bars did not exist. All of these at the time, in their own little way, were, you know, a little bit different or in some cases a lot different to anything yeah. we've come before. But you know, why wouldn't you like it, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess it's that confidence that if people like you like it and you know your mates will like it, then, yeah. you know, surely logic says that I think, everyone's been... I think, I think a lot of people coming to hospitality are like that mm. and they're often wrong, though. Oh. So it's, you know... Yeah. I think... Um, I don't Certainly th- the investment community, you know, where they'll... I think I said this in a podcast the other day and it was like they sort of come in with the spreadsheet not the heart sort yeah. of thing you know and, and they, they maybe invest in something that actually they wouldn't have any opinion on you yeah. know a fast casual thing that they would yeah. never dream of taking their family to exactly you know so that's what they're getting it yeah wrong, I think. yeah definitely it's difficult I think I mean you know when we opened in um, Australia that was I was worried about that because yeah. I don't I don't know the Aussie market and they're they're even chippier than northerners in Australia when it you know who, the, yeah. who, who do you think you are coming in and opening a bar in our in Melbourne <laughs> You know, an opening in Abatha was a risk because you've got all sorts of like island issues to deal with there. I mean, I really want to open something in Manchester, and that I'm not I'm, even that's my hometown. I don't know it now, that you know, and there's issues there that you've yeah. got to do. You've got to judge it right, you know. Who, who do you think's doing well up there? Well, Hawksmoor are, uh, are doing absolutely brilliantly, yeah. and they've done it right from the outset. Although the local market didn't get it initially, it's going to be well. and but and they've stuck to their guns and just carried on doing what they're really good at. And uh, you know, if it's not the best restaurant in 
in Manchester. It's, it, it's you know top three for now. Has been for last mm-hmm. since it's been open. It's brilliant. Dishoom is doing great up there. You know, I mean, I think um, El Gato is good. Okay. Uh, and they've got Canto as well, and they're opening in Liverpool now. I mean, but those are imports. Yeah. Those are imports, and Manchester should be producing more homegrown cool stuff I mean Mackie Mare is, is there now which is yeah. a great space I think you've got Bundabus that's come over the Indian veggie from I Leeds I went to Bundabus the other night in Leeds yeah. and yeah. it was great fun yeah. loved yeah. it yeah. Um, I think so the value yeah yeah great. I mean five quid for I mean yeah. close four quid yeah, yeah. and you were stuffed yeah. you know? there's a couple of uh, small spaces that have popped up there that are really good and a couple of like really high end ones there's a, there's a restaurant called Mana M-A-N-A that's just opened that's just got into the top 100 in restaurant magazines, okay. which is really good, a bit like the Clove Club but yeah, in Manchester. Yeah, and there's yeah. one called Erst, E-R-S-T, mm-hmm. which is just open there, which is a bit like Lyles. I don't know if you've been to Lyles. Yeah, yet. I haven't been, but I've walked past it yeah, today. I yeah, I Lyles. So there's, there's a few things happening mm-hmm. there. I mean, you know, the, the warehouse project is brilliant. You know, that's, that's what Manchester's known for. Park life a little bit, that kind of like going out and having it kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the gay villages in Canal Street's always a bit tired these days and Deangate Locks is not as good and Deansgate yeah. generally. And the Northern Quarter, which used to be brilliant, but it's now, it's like, yeah. you know... It's not what it was. It feels like it needs some more new yeah. new cool stuff or I, I don't know what it's missing, really. It's not got yeah. what I'm doing at the moment, which would, you know... There's so much space there and there's a really encouraging business environment for the nighttime economy from the local authorities and just local communities so I'm really optimistic that some cool things are going to happen yeah and you're actively looking around oh yeah definitely 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 I I hope we'll have something open there before the end of the year yeah great I I mean that could completely change but 90% that'll happen yeah yeah well I'm I'm dead happy because I'm doing doing a bit of travelling up to those areas like Leeds and Manchester and it's looking really vibrant and then you've got Cala as well Carla, well, I, yeah. I, 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 Carla yesterday and uh, I, I love that place I mean I, they've just done just the right amount of interior design yeah. and the food is just brilliant I yeah. mean it's like faultless like I, 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 he's just exploded onto the scene and he's using like social media so well and yeah not always been, oh, <laughs> oh, I think he gets a bit of like, even when he does nice stuff he gets a kick in you know what oh, it's like oh man no, you yeah. feel sorry for him sometimes yeah, like, Nelson Mandela yeah. would get a kick in if he was on uh, That's true. <laughs> Twitter these days wouldn't yeah, it yeah. The, the things that people think they know about you or the things they assume about you or the, the way they misinterpret what you say is just yeah. it's ridiculous oh, well we're here let's talk about that stuff because you're right. pretty active on Twitter how do you sort of approach it handle it is it a is it a venting channel was it a you know I, I don't know just I don't know. Like, it, I always find it quite odd that people think I'm like grumpy or angry on Twitter yeah. I just like I think maybe one out of 20 one out of 50 yeah, is, is a whinge on the nose yeah, yeah. it's a whinge and it's like it's like those are the only ones that people mention I think well may, I'd maybe have some more followers or more <laughs> engagement if I was angrier all the time I don't know but but yeah, I mean, Twitter's interesting. I mean, I, I don't tend to dwell, you know, spend a lot of time there just because, I'm, I, you know, I take everything too personally. So if if you are having a ding-dong with someone or you get negative feedback, like, you're just good at just going, I, I, you know, I don't I, care. I don't care what anyone thinks about me other than yeah. I, I care what my mum thinks about me, I care what my work colleagues think about me, I care yeah. what my mates think about me or my kids. Yeah. I don't care what somebody I've never met <laughs> thinks about me. I'm thinking about time. Yeah, I'm Do thinking about, can I have a wee? Oh, would I, you like a break? I'd love a wee, yeah, and then uh, maybe okay. a coffee. We can have a break. 
Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Great. <laughs> From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at BDO. BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. Right, so let's go back then. So then the bars and all the rest of it. So was there an end to the bar life and then a new beginning or was there a foot in both camps? Or Not really. I mean, the fire hit. Yeah. And then I had to respond to that because we just spent like nearly two million on the East Room in Shoreditch nearly two million on Match Bar and Grill in Melbourne. You know, everything we had pretty much at the time. Yeah. And and then we nearly lost everything. I mean, literally overnight in that yeah. fire. And uh, so we had to scramble. I mean, that was... And I remember that the four years that followed that, for instance, I mean, I never had a holiday with any of my kids. Made sure they had a holiday, but I never went anywhere with them. And it was awful. I remember, I remember for a period of time thinking... Um, I'm going to live on 20 quid a week and I'd go to the cash point on a Monday and take 20 quid out and think, right, I'm not going to spend more than 20 quid wow. this week. I mean, that, that happened for about three months one summer and, you know, terrible, terrible time. Yeah. But we kept uh, our other sites open and we uh, rebranded the original Match Bar as a, as a new cafe. I bought a, a restaurant site around the corner and turned that into a site called Red Hook. We just did different Ooh. things to sort of keep going and keep things fresh. And uh, got involved in, a, in trying to buy a members club in the West End called Century. Uh, oh, yeah, I know we, that one. Yeah, yeah, we exchanged contracts on that, but then the vendor went to liquidation and we tried to buy off the liquidator, but we were outbid, and that was another... That's still there, right? Still there, yeah, yeah. still there. So other problems. And, um, and at the, so I had about 10 sites, 12 sites still, and food was a challenge in these sites. We were looking at the economics of running these businesses. We were a bar business... 10, 15, 20% of our sales, in, depending on the site, was food. But we're having a problem with sh- keeping chefs involved or interested. And, you know, I was living in Shoreditch and uh, Dalston, between the two, really, uh, over a period of about 10 years. And there's a whole new street food scene happening mm-hmm. in, from 2011, and Broadway Market was key to that. And Lucky Chip, Young Bun, Pick You, uh, Meat Liquor. Oh, Pick You as well. Yeah, yeah, all so of that. So sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think, yeah. I mean, it's. But I think that's been inevitable for a long time. They've yeah. kept it going, but yeah, eventually you just have to awesome. throw it in, really. Um, and so I thought, I really like what these guys were doing, and I thought maybe they can come. Maybe you know, Lucky Chips trading burgers out of a van in Kensal Rise and uh, Nettle Market, uh-huh. 2012, 2011. Mm-hmm. Why don't you come do the kitchen at the Player? You know, we'll yeah. just do burgers. Um, and that's kind of one of my ideas. But also, I saw these guys doing this brilliant food on the street thinking, not enough people know about this. Mm. What? This is bizarre. I want everyone. I become evangelical about yeah, it. Like, yeah. I want everyone to try this burger. Yeah. It's absolutely delicious. I want everyone to try that yum bun. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's got to go down to pick you on the South Bank and try this pulled pork. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, Twitter was just 
happened. Um, but I thought I can maybe I could use Twitter to help market Ooh. Lucky Chip pick you these street food traders. So I set up this account. The name makes me cringe now, but um, and I the first day I got um, with my kids went down to a, a salvage store in mm-hmm. Bethnal Green, bought an old bath, filled the plug hole in, and then bought a load of ice, and then filled it with rosé wine and red striped cans, and then on a, and then got on Twitter and said I'm giving away free beer and free wine for anyone who buys a Lucky Chip burger between midday and 6pm on Sunday at Nethel Market. About 500 people came down. We got some furniture out, oh, some yeah. bean bags. And all that it was proper, like you know, you know, and about it was just great. And yeah. Ben, who runs Lucky Chip, thought this is fucking great. And then the next one we did was at PQ, the South Bank, and I got the guys from Milk and Honey to come down. We made some mobile bar units with our press tin on, and we were doing three pound pint size mojitos or mm-hmm. whatever the cocktail was, Floridoras, can't remember now, five pounds maybe. And all the money raised for that went to buy a second smoker for PQ and. You know, it was, it was, and we had live music, and it was just like a brilliant happening. We had all sorts of panic issues with the South Bank people because we were cooking over an open barbecue and there's smoke going up over the railway line, and you're not allowed to do this. You know, like we kind of got away with it, we'd never be able to do it now. Yeah, and I, I, they were really successful, like happenings, Mm -hmm. a bit flash mobby, a bit, but with money and and, and commercial intent, yeah, and and a real like street marketing, you know, it was really like. And then after that, I thought, well, this is interesting. I wonder if we can now move this on a bit. And I wonder if people, I can use Twitter to sell tickets to an event, that, uh, the money for which will help create an, an event, not to make money out of the yeah, event, yeah. but just to do something. So then I came up with the idea. I call them food fights. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, and I don't know where I got the idea from. I don't, you'd, you'd get 10 chefs. Um, that I, most of them I'd never met mm. to cook something and this, the first one was a chilli it's called the chilli standoff oh, they yeah. all bring a big pot of chilli sell 300 tickets for 20 quid each yeah. whatever it was everyone goes round there's a voting card you vote for the winner the winner gets a trophy of 2000 quid just like a Simpsons episode when he does the, <laughs> the chilli kick off <laughs> and so what is now the tram shed Mark Hicks's restaurant oh, yeah. that was an event space and we did the first one in there Bro, is that Rivington? It's, it's like there, yeah, Rivington. Yeah, it's Rivington, yeah. Yeah. I think one entrance on Rivington, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so uh, we did that, and then Stevie Paul was in that. Uh, Gizzy was at that. I never, uh-huh. you know, I didn't really know. The, yeah, yeah. Carl Clark was in that. Chicken, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a jockey from the Fat Duck came mm-hmm. along. Who else was there? Uh, ben from Lucky Chip. Yeah. Henry came down from Leon. That's yes. one of the first times, you know, I'd, met, I'd worked or met with Henry, and that was, so that was probably 2011, I think. And it was just a great vibe and atmosphere. We set up the bar, you know, and we didn't make any money. That was not yeah. the point. But people were meeting. Chefs were meeting other chefs. You know, bars were meeting, restaurants. Um, we did another one, I think, the following year with Richard Johnson for the British Street Food Awards. And we did it outside Jamie Oliver's 15 restaurant. Yes. Took over the street. Did a 15 street food party for the British Street Food Awards. We took over the big car park at the back. And on the Saturday, we did um, gin stock. Similar kind of thing. Right. Eight gin cocktails, who's yeah. the winner. Jim Brand working with a bar. Brilliant. And on the Sunday, we did Rumstock, which was one of my favourite events ever. With a great <laughs> DJ there, uh, one of the bartenders. What was it like proper dub and reggae and all that stuff? Yeah, it yeah. was just brilliant. Because we had a really tough four days of building and opening yeah. and running it. And then Sunday, it was just fantastic. I really had a great time there. And I remember the winner of Rumstock, right, was um, Ten Bells which was just James Lowe from Lyles ah. and Isaac from the Clove Club cooking together wow. with Johnny and Dan doing front of house. 
And Johnny and Dan said they'd, they'd do this, and they got Mike Sager mm-hmm. as their bartender skill. He used to work with me at the East Room and Milk and Honey to come along. And he's now Sager and Wild, and he's yeah. got, um, you know, the one in, the other one that's opened in uh, Clarkham, I forget the name of it. Anyway, and they, they won Rumstock, and it was, it was just, there was all that happening at the time in London, yeah. all over the place, and we were just one part of it. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was just really exciting. We did several of them, we did, and then 2012, I'm just talking and talking and talking. That's, I know good. that's kind of the idea. Interesting. But... <laughs> that know half this stuff. <laughs> uh, in 2012, my mate Dom Kuzlartig, mm-hmm. who's the founder of Street Feast, yeah, uh, he'd had a go on Brick Lane uh, and then got moved on by Tower Hamlets. Okay, I think he had like six traders and one bar and a little town sound system. Might have even been well, a wind up. Put it up. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and he got moved on after a while. And then he found this fantastic space in Dalston, mm-hmm. which we called Dalston Yard. Mm-hmm. And I think he did nine weekends there, Friday and Saturday. And I lived like 400 yards away and used to go there every Friday yeah. with the kids, walk into this amazing container store. It's like a burnt out warehouse. I don't know if you're aware. Oh, I've seen it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some pictures of it, yeah. All the structure remained yeah. like, and it was just like, wow, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. It's like being in Brazil or somewhere, or, you know. <laughs> yeah. or, and uh, he had Ben Spaulding doing his stripped back thing there, which he'd been doing at Broadway Market, which he used to love. And it was just a really great vibe. And I remember going in there thinking, I love everything about this, except the sound system's not quite right. And Gordon's gin, really? And is that the yeah. only beer you've got? And could you not have a nicer wine? And oh, the taco guy's not right. But I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. In my naturally sort of picky, critical... <laughs> of the operation way I was yeah. around. Anyway, I'd known Dom for years because he used to promote Sunday night at Socio for mm-hmm. me for a, like a decade, a massive night. It was super successful, one of the best nights we've ever done. And uh, after the summer at Dalston Yard, nothing happened. And then I think it came to me late 2012, said, look, I found a great site for another street feast, but I, I could do with a uh, bit of help and a, maybe a bit of money. It's like, sure. We ended up putting in about £50,000 and I said to Don, look, let me run the bars. Uh, I've got some good ideas for what we can do with that other mm-hmm. room. We can create a gin store. I think we can take a lot more money on the bars if you let us run them because that's what we're good at. Mm-hmm. I said, if you keep 70% of it, we'll take 30%, but we want our 50K back first yeah. and then you get 70, we get 30. And, and also, you know, these guys, Bredos that do tacos, I think you should get them in there. Fucking yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know a better burger than that one. If, and he was like, yeah, of course, whatever, whatever. And so... Uh, we opened Merchant Yard in Haggerston okay. I think it was May 2013 yeah. and it was just a phenomenon I mean it was yeah. literally a phenomenon I remember Dom saying to me once he'd just got off the overground which is like four carriages and it was absolutely packed he got off at Haggerston and everybody else got off and everybody was coming to Street Feast you know and it was a really brilliant vibe and atmosphere and we did loads of um uh, food fight events that summer. Mm-hmm. I was working with Noshable Adam, you know, Adam oh, yeah, Layton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's brilliant. He's at Honest Burgers now. Yeah. And uh, I think we did six events and six weekends, including gin stock, rib stock. We did Gizzy's Barnyard Party. We, I can't know what they all were. We just did yeah. six Saturdays. We did these. I don't know how we did it because we can't, we can't even do six every two years now. But, <laughs> um, and it, 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 there was a lot happening, you know, yeah. there was a lot of people getting involved and keen and excited to, to do stuff. So, you know, it was all, it, it was, going to be a phenomenon anyway and we just kind of helped fuel that a bit yeah and then yeah and then we did Hawker House in Bethnal Green after that and so that that was the one that I guess was most striking to me at the time I couldn't 
get when I saw the pictures and stuff, I couldn't get my head round how the structure even worked. Which one? A Hawker House. It just looked so incredible. You know, right. like the design of it, the lighting, the it was yeah. on different levels, wasn't it? Oh no, that's the second one. That was that was in the office block. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I don't. I was just like, fuck, how does this even work? Yeah, and no. Look, it just was a mind bender when well, you it, saw it. it, you it know? Sh- that should never have happened. Again, that's a little bit Wild West yeah. uh, you know era and you know that shouldn't really we should we would never do something like that now yeah. then, but it was it, it was brilliant. great though it was absolutely yeah. brilliant that, that's one of my favorites we've ever done yeah oh so this was hawk house one yeah this was the first hawk house one, one yeah. was in a warehouse in bethnal green uh-huh. we got the keys on the monday and we opened on the friday and there's no power in there with generators there's no toilets we had to get you know and all the traders piled in and we just had like 10 traders in there they all they were all brilliant yeah and it was just fantastic yeah. Proper food rave. And who there was like the kind of the ones for you, you know, the, who, who were your favourites there? Uh, oh, God. If you can name favourite, can you? You I probably can. can. Well, yeah, but I think Breddos, I've always been a big fan yeah. of Breddos. Um, we had brands like Spit and Roast in there. Um, we had Hotbox Barbecue for a while. Mm. Yumbun were there. Yeah, they were there. Marito, yeah. you know Marito? No. I'm next with Market, they've got one in Hackney Road. Okay. They did a thing with us for a while. And what, you know, with, with those kind of things, you know, and, and with you know what you've got today as well, what are you seeing as the things that really sell? You know, is it... Because I, I don't I wonder when you go in, you know, you see things like, you know, I haven't got any market holes the other day, forgive me, but okay. going in there and there's like, you know, the, the, the Gopal's Corner thing, but then the pasta brand didn't look, you know, very busy. And, you know, how, how does all the balance work of yeah, well, the it, sales as it, well? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the science to it is. I don't know. Uh, it's just... Um, I, one of the things I, when we are always looking for new food one of our like mantras is now new next and we don't just want to be picking existing businesses and saying come and do a little version of what you do here we want to be doing something different but that's an ambition you know we don't necessarily always achieve that and fundamentally people just people love pizza mm-hmm. people like burgers you know and we really we have struggled at times not now we have struggled at times to get a really great burger we used to work all the time with Bleecker Mm-hmm. They were brilliant and, you know, everyone loves them. Mm-hmm. But then they're opening their own sites and then, you know, they're busy doing that. And then we've, well, who, who's the next burger? Yeah. You know, and there, there was periods when there hasn't been a next burger. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly there are three next burgers and they're all really good. So yeah. we're all right again. Yeah. Um, I th- yeah, we've struggled with pizza. I think, um, you know, we've, we, Thunderbird Fried Chicken mm-hmm. started with us. And, you know, I think you've had Marcel on and, you know, they're rolling out now. I mean... And what they do, I think that those, those chicken wings, I've never had anything like it. They're mm. absolutely sensational. And so once you find something that's that good, you don't really want to change it, you know. Mm. And as long as they stay with you or don't run off and get distracted by other sites, yeah. and, and then what they're doing with us suffers, you just, why would you change it? Why yeah. would you? Um, we had Smokestack. Smokestack started with us. I don't know if you've been to his restaurant. I, mean, it, I haven't been to the restaurant, no. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've got to get it, there. It's yeah. literally, I mean, it's not in the top 100 for restaurant magazine, but... It's easily a top 50 place to eat. Yeah. I mean, absolutely no question. Yeah. It's brilliant. And David, his first day trading was with us in Dalston, and he's great at what he does. Um, and he was like top trader at Dinorama. And uh, and we, you know, we really miss the quality of what he does. I think a lot of the other traders are glad he's not there because you know, he's going to get so much of the spend. <laughs> it's just cool. <laughs> um, and we've, we've not replaced him because it just isn't anyone that good. Mm. I mean, he's literally out there on his own when it comes to that, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's hard. And we've not replaced Bredos on, on Tacos uh, uh, because, you know, they've opened two sites. 
Nudd, one of the partners now, lives most of the time in Norway. Okay. You know, they've got super tacos at market halls. Um, yeah. And so we weren't getting the attention I wanted from them because, I mean, Nudd is an exceptional, creative chef and mm-hmm. uh, some of his food is the most the best I've ever eaten. And, uh, seen you, know, you, you know, it's going from having him cooking every night at Dinerama and, yeah. not, you know, banging on the door to get in there to try a short rib taco mm-hmm. to him being in four or five different places at once is a different experience. And yeah. that's, that's just progress. Just business, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it, 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 it is such a hard thing. Yeah. You know, how do you, you see it all the time when someone goes to two, three, four, five sites. Yeah. The team just aren't yeah, them. It's exactly. such a hard thing. But because I've got to try and find the next Nud and the next David Smokestack. Mm-hmm. I've got to try and find you know the next Matt Thunderbird. I want to find these guys. Yeah. And th- there's not you know who's the next Lisa Youngbun. I mean, who are these people that are doing yeah. the next great thing? There was a kind of like a you know a, a tsunami of them. Of, of, you know, there's a lot of it around. You got the guys from Bow and Pizza Pilgrims yeah. and um, you know all of these people coming through in Bob's Lobster. Yeah. You know, I mean, just brilliant. I mean, the food is delicious. The, yeah. guy, the people behind the business are great people. Incredible. Their brand identity and all that stuff yeah. is spot on. Yeah. And, you know, it's like looking for the next round of that, really, mm. rather than going down the kind of uh, route of some of our, of some of the food hall operators where they just, they, they pick great op- existing operators and say, come and do yeah. that for us. Yeah. Which is, I, that is equally... It's good. It's just not our way, you know. Yeah, you're you're going for the undiscovered talent. Yeah, a little you bit, know, a little bit. Unseen bands, but but also to some extent. I mean, we're not a lot of the time. We're not the originators. I mean, we have been in the past with Smokestack mm. and some of these other brands. But you know, we're relying on people like Curb, you know, yeah. to and they have been fantastic at finding and nurturing mm. and developing uh, street food talent, mm. and uh, and it, it looks like finally they've got their own bricks and mortar site that they can then yeah. take those the best of that yeah. the best graduates of yeah. their academy so a bit of a feeder system yeah I mean you know and how, how are you going about things is it just lots of travel lots of um, well in the past it was me pretty much all me Fanny or Dom mm. in the early days and then uh, we, we've had a food boss for a while Harry um, David found us David Smokestack found mm. us he just wanted to do this barbecue he wanted to do it at Dolson Yard he came to me and pitched me the idea mm. Um, I mean, we get loads of applications through the website. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we don't get enough. Yeah. And I don't get enough that immediately capture your interest. We get quite a lot of quirky concepts mm-hmm. and you just think like, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Just do do half of that really, yeah. really well. Or they come to you with their fantastic van or their fantastic this or their fantastic, you know, I just want, what's your food like? Yeah. And, and can you serve 400 portions in four hours? Yeah. And what, what's, your, what's your brand name, and you know yeah. where do you get your meat from, and uh, you know that kind of stuff. And would you broadcaster opportunities for you ongoing? You know, like the million pound menu stuff and all that kind of thing. You know, like <sighs> it could, I guess done in the right way. You know, if it was a YouTube only thing or something a bit cooler, or what? Yeah, like, it'd, be, it'd be quite interesting to kind of yeah. try and get that swathe of talent in you know it would be it'd be really interesting the, the, it's just the time and and, yeah, and finding the, the maybe the the person or the three people that could mm. make that happen and and then monetizing it really mm. so you know is i mean I, we've got we've had big plans to do that i mean we were going to do a big road trip to la with uh chris and nud from breados and then go down baja california and then into mexico yeah. city and we we're going to go and do tequila and mezcal and you know i mean 
oh, we just never, you know, got some great ideas yeah. for stuff, YouTube stuff like that. Yeah. Um, first of all, you need the talent or the person that can do that mm-hmm. presenting. I don't think, you know, there's anyone naturally that'd be especially good at that. Or you need a producer, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just, it's a different business. I, I, I want to open, you know, big new venues and mm-hmm. fill them with happy people, yeah. sell a lot of drinks, sell a lot of food, no trouble, you yeah. know, make some money, nurture some businesses, create some jobs, have a fucking laugh, yep. uh, you know, and and do new stuff. I mean, that's, you know. Yeah. And what about the council issues you face then? Yeah. Um, what kind of all happened there? So I guess you've got, um, you know, obviously we've skipped a wee bit of the, obviously getting Dynarama and yeah. all these things that have been going in, the London Union stuff. And stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what kind of happened there then in terms of, you know, the hackney stuff? And yeah, I, that, I, I don't know. I don't know why it's happened. I mean, about 15 years ago, Westminster City Council decided that they didn't like Soho the way it was and they brought in this cumulative impact zone, stress area it was I think originally called. No new licences really for bars, no new late licences and they kind of wanted to turn Soho and the West End into that more kind of like Mediterranean style tables outside. Everyone sat down sipping, you know, a Cinzano and nibbling on some burrata or whatever their idea was and to a large extent they've been successful at that mm-hmm. and um, at, at my age now I'm quite happy to be able to go in Soho and eat in some of the great new places mm-hmm. eating in places there's nowhere to go out and have a decent drink really very few places you know yeah. um, but the beneficiary of that policy was Shoreditch because everything came east because yeah. we you know you couldn't open a player in Soho you're going to open it in Shoreditch yeah. you know and there's some brilliant stuff opened here yeah. and then Hackney Council I think it's 10 years ago now might be five years ago, I forget the dates. They brought in their special policy area, they called it. Right. Which is no new this, no new that. And then uh, every so often, I think it's every three years, every five years, I can't remember, they have to renew their policy, their licensing policy, and create core hours mm. and uh, a new kind of like overview as to how we see licensing going over the next few years. Right. And a few years ago, they came out with this core policy, which... Uh, some they made a mistake on it and it said they basically said they wanted no new music venues no new clubs no new late bars and they put this thing called not considered appropriate so it starts to become a bit like that movie Footloose where you've got these kind of you know churchy people not wanting the young people to dance or go out late and you know and and this not considered appropriate shouldn't have and then they reissued that policy with the not considered appropriate taken out because it became like a buzzword for grumpy old nimbies stopping the real Hackney residents yeah. or the, the new Hackney residents anyway, having a good time. And as a result of that, uh, a few of us, Hackney residents, uh, and some of us Hackney residents and business owners, set up this uh, campaigning group called Wheel of Hackney mm. to fight that not considered appropriate uh, new policy and we were successful we won we got 4,000 people the largest residence group in Hackney by miles yeah um, we won that policy they rejected the new policy and stayed with the old one for a year and then they about 18 months ago I can't remember sorry the dates they issued another go at this right so have another go at this and they've come back with something that's even worse Christ. right so we fought that and we we, we got them to delay it mm. because they did um they did a, a, a consultation with residents and it was kind of like 75, 80% against everything they wanted to do. But they've ignored all that and they've just railroaded through 
and basically in Hackney what we've got now although they will they won't say it's this but this is mm-hmm. what is happening and what will continue to be the case we've now got an across the borough entire borough curfew so it's called a core hours policy so no new licenses after 11 o'clock Monday to Thursday after midnight Friday Saturday yeah. and uh, no new licenses at all in a double the size stress area of Shoreditch and a increased area in Dalston and uh, no outside anything after 10pm so basically they said fuck off to street food markets uh, and drinking any any new venue is not allowed to have any outside drinking after 10pm so even on a sunny August and you're on a high street in Bethnal Green or wherever and it it is just beyond belief that they brought this in and they say well you know, that may be the core policy, but it's case-by-case basis. Well, one recent case, on Shoreditch High Street, there's a, um, a bookshop which applied. They're inside the, the SPA, the Special Policy Area mm-hmm. for Shoreditch. They applied for a liquor licence to sell wine only with food for some poetry reading evenings they wanted to do, stopping at 10 o'clock. Yeah. And they've been refused that licence. So that is exactly the kind of cultural happening combined with food and drink that you should be allowed to happen in the middle of the coolest part of the coolest city on the planet. But because of this council curfew they brought in and these kind of like, there's no, the computer says no, the computer says no approach, we've got nothing happening. Now what's going to happen is, and it's already happening, is that... If you've got a licensed venue inside a special policy area, you're all right. Yeah. I've got a 3 a.m. license at Milk and Honey in Soho yeah. inside a special policy area, which is 10 times as valuable as it would be yeah. if there's no special policy area. Yeah. There are no new 3 a.m.s happening in Soho. If I spend £50 million on a hotel, I couldn't get anything beyond midnight in Soho or anywhere in the West End, pretty yeah, much, yeah. because of this thing. So now only... Co- and it's the same in, in Shoreditch. Mm. So if you're Blue's Kitchen... Yep. They've got a great late license. Dinerama, we've got a thousand capacity venue. Yeah. Right? That's that's we're all right. Yeah. I'm you know, it's just good for me. It means no one can come along and compete with me, be better than me, and take away my customers. Yeah. But the only people who are gonna buy our licenses are big corporations who've yeah. got, you know, economies of scale and brands and stuff like that. And you can already see that happening. You can see that happening in Dalston. Yeah. So birthdays has gone and that becomes brew dog. You know, at least that's kind of like an indie. Yeah. You know, big business, yeah. um, but that's you know, in a few years' time, so the the local nighttime economy, I think, mm. in short, it's just going to stagnate. And entrepreneurs won't get a chance. Exactly. And, yeah. and now it's not as if we can move to Hackney Wick or Clapton because they brought in this core hours policy across the whole borough. So it just means you go elsewhere. So mm. we'll go to Tower Hamlets, or we'll go to Lambeth, or we'll go to Southwark. Uh, something's got to be done about it because mm. it's going to stop job creation. I mean, our business, I think. I think 85% of the people who work at Dynarama live in Hackney on our side that we Which employ. You know, and, and everywhere we open a site, mm-hmm. it's around about average 75% mm-hmm. of the people who work there for us um, are from that borough. And it, it's, you know, it shouldn't be that marked, but it is. Yeah. But if we can't open new sites, I mean, there is no way mm-hmm. Dynarama would exist today. Mm-hmm. In Shoreditch, with the existing could exist with the existing licensing. There is no way Bucks Park could exist. There is no way Blues Kitchen or anywhere like that could open. They just will not. They just want restaurants that yeah. close at eleven o'clock 
On a Thursday. But does that mean, as you said, then London's just going to go further and further and further out and that's where they're going to have to... Well, yeah, unless something happens, unless residents, primarily, mm. because they're the ones in whose name the council is invoking these new policies, yeah. we're protecting the residents, businesses, and I don't mean the nighttime economy businesses, I mean the businesses that uh, whose employees live and work in Hackney or want to go out in Hackney. And, and you know, I'll... I'll the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has got to get involved. He's got this London is open hashtag going round and he's he loves his little videos and things like that. He has not said a thing about this policy. And I, you know, I'm sure there's some Labour internal politics, political issues there that I don't even consider. But it's ridiculous that yeah. this is happening right here. If it can happen in Hackney, it's going to happen in other boroughs. And before we know it, we're going to be living in fucking Geneva. And, you know, that's that's not a great place to go out at night. Milton Keynes might benefit and might become the city of dreams that I always hoped that it would, you yeah. know. Or Norwich, maybe. <laughs> maybe. That's too far, too far. Right, so we've kind of jumped a bit a wee bit. So let's go back. Um, we were talking around the first Hawker House and I didn't yeah. want to miss all the wonderful stuff that happened after that. So, oh, right. you know, so it would be good to just sort of skip through that as well. That would be Yeah, fun. so... At the time, I think I was running, I don't know, maybe 10 bars and restaurants at the time, and uh, Dom was Mr. Street Feast, and he'd got us involved, and he'd created this nomadic street food circus, as he called it. So we were running with, we were opening um, street feast venues and hawker house venues without planning, without formal licensing. We were operating on temporary event notices. So at an address, you can get 21 a year, and so we'd do nine or 10 weeks, We'd have Friday, Saturday night, obviously the occasional three-day weekend. Mm-hmm. And once that, that nine or ten weeks was up, we'd pack up our stuff, our festoon lights, our oil drums and our bar systems and go somewhere else. Uh, some venues, we had with our very clever licensing lawyers, uh, you, you'd, uh, you know, the, the venue would be on two streets, so you could use the same venue but a different street address and get another 21 oh, nights. Nice. So there was all sorts of... Stuff like that happening. But I remember when we opened at Hawker House in Tower Hamlets, and I told you we got the keys on the Monday and we're open on the Friday. And that Saturday night, or it might have been the the second Friday we're open, in piled the council with their high-vis and their clipboards, and uh, we're closing you down. You know, you've got a venue full of a 1,000 people, you know, cooking smells, DJ, just brilliant atmosphere. Uh, We were open from 5 p.m. to midnight. Some... Some, you know, busybody across the street. There was no noise outside. You had to go in. It was like they they didn't... Somebody across the street had seen this thing going on and thought, what are young people doing in there that I'm not invited to? And uh, so they came down and said, well, so you close us down and see what you you do. I knew what the planning rules were and we don't need it for us. Mm -hmm. You can't do that within 28 days. I can if it's a serious risk to, you know, public health and safety. So so where is a serious risk? Anyway... He, he pissed off and he, he came back the following week and he was still aggressive but eventually we managed to negotiate a deal where by we uh, no there was a smoking had to be out the back not the front uh-huh. because all that mattered to him was that what mattered to one resident yeah okay and what mattered to her was that she could see people enjoying themselves and she wasn't invited yeah so we had to take any of the outside activity apart from going in and going home mm-hmm had to go somewhere else because she could curtain twitching, yeah, yeah. looking out and seeing someone having a cigarette or having yeah. a, a wee in a, you know, an outside loo or whatever. None of that was allowed. So that, that's kind of, 
the nature of the stuff we had to do at the time. And did you know like exactly who it was and all that stuff? Oh no, I mean we'd have you know, I mean there's, there's no point. I mean after that we'd then mail shot everyone in the area before we'd open a new site and say we're opening yeah. this new venue here's what it is it's a food market it's going to open two nights a week from five till eleven for food and then sort of a wind down hour this is our audience there's an article you know that kind of just to sort of tee people up to it yeah yeah it wouldn't stop the whinging but but it, you feel that helped them oh, definitely definitely yeah, yeah definitely yeah so then Hawker House and then what was next, Dino Rama, model market? Uh, I can't remember. A model market, yeah. yeah. So uh, an agent mate of mine came to us and said, have you been to Lewisham? Uh, there's a great site there you might like. I said, I'm not going to Lewisham. I don't know where it is. He said, it's nine minutes from London Bridge on the train. Come on down. I was like, nah, I'm not interested. Anyway, kept on at me and I went down. Went to this abandoned uh, sort of park-covered market mm-hmm. that had been there from the, since the 50s. A very important market for the sort of local Afro-Caribbean community. Um, you could get your CDs there. You get your haircut there. You Ooh. could, you know, you could buy fish, and it had just been. I think it'd been closed for about fifteen years, Boy. and I, I just thought we could turn this into something really cool. And uh, land security as the landlord there said, "Look, they really just left us to it. Great to deal with. You, you know, pay us a bit of rent, tidy the place up. Yep. Anything we can do to support you." Um, and that, off we went, and it was just brilliant. I really, I remember when we first announced we were going down there, we had a lot of antagonism from some locals right. because they were very territorial and didn't want the Hackney Street Feast crew coming down to right. Lewisham telling them what to do. But that was, they, we soon won them over the first night. We, we got as many local food traders as we could. Uh, and it, it's just been, I think it's the most Street Feast site we've got that now. Yeah. So that's been there since. Might be 2013, yeah, six nice. years now. We only open in the spring, summer there. That's yeah. a great little venue. Yeah. And then start getting on to the bigger ones then, like... Well, then in 2015, we set up London Union, mm-hmm. which is like the top company now. And we got, we've we got our founder investors together. We've got a lot of people involved in food and drink mm-hmm. in London. Uh, restauranters, hoteliers, uh, restaurant critics, chefs, people like that. It's a real super group. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's pretty much everybody that Henry Dimbleby is the co-founder of London Union with with me, you know, knew in food and drink in London, plus a couple of friends of friends. Yeah. And so we just asked everybody to invest and everybody said, yeah, and they've all put money in. It's not a, like a, you know, give us your name and we'll give some shares kind of vibe. And that got us going in January, 2015. And then we launched on the 1st of May, we bought the Street Feast business from Dom, me and my business partner Rick mm-hmm. into London Union and we had Dalston Yard Model Market and the Hawk House brands then and then uh, six weeks later we opened Dinorama in Shoreditch just around the corner here and initially on a, uh, a two year lease okay. expecting only to be open spring and summer but it was such a massive hit that uh, we winterised it and have kept it going year round I think by the time we're out of there probably we'll have done eight years maybe ten yeah so, so how long, long then more to go? Uh, another four, like, another four. Yeah, yeah. And do you see that happening or do you think you're hoping it'll extend? Or? Well, I think we'll get four years, yeah. yeah. It's whether we'll get six. After, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an incredible thing. And I think I saw you on stage talking about it. You had a wonderful sort of video, you know, that was in capturing everything that was going on, which was great, you know. Um, and then after that, you did see, I mean, you were talking even about Instagram sort of back then and you were saying spend the money on that 
signage yeah. or that iconic thing. Or, yeah. So that was quite an important point for everyone in the thing, I think, at the time. Yeah, I think it was. I think I remember the year we launched Dynorama, I, I can't remember the exact numbers now, but there was someone at Geo, the, the most, the top 10 geolocated, or whatever the phrase was, images of London on Instagram. You've got Buckingham Palace, Tower of London, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And number 11 was Dynorama. Shit. You know, just because of that signage. Yeah. That um, was bonkers. But it, it was such an important, because like, the people that you're speaking to a lot of the time in, in these audience, it's just, how much can I save? I think it's just short-sighted to not yeah. have something. And now, obviously, it's all the rage, you know, have you got a grammable area and have you got this yeah. and that? But that was, you know, that was such a good thing. And I think also with the different photos that were taken, and, and as I was saying earlier on about the Hawker stuff, I, I just couldn't even figure out how this rabbit warren yeah. worked. And what, what about this, uh, the young pretenders then? Because obviously you're much copied, stroke influenced. Yeah, I think, well, these days. I think, um, I'm not sure how, I think we've had one real copycat business. Mm. Uh, and then I think other businesses have been inspired a little bit by what we do, but also a little bit by what's going on in other parts of the world. I think, you know, we're not a food hall. You know, we are a new night out. I think um, market halls in, I think, in Victoria is a fantastic space Ooh. and a space we looked at and decided not to do. It's a great lunchtime destination and an early evening destination. Yeah. We are, you know, we're much more of a evening and early evening and late evening venue. Giant robots all day, because yeah. in Canary Wharf. And so we, you know, there may be overlap and competition for sites, yeah. but I mean, they're opening in um, Lakeside, are they, or uh, yeah. Blue Water? I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, th- you know, I thought it was, Le- I think it's Lakeside, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and so- Shake Shack's just opened in Lakeside as right. well. I mean, we're never gonna open anywhere, like that's not yeah. what I, where I wanna go and what I wanna do things. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think, yeah, I've got to be careful what I say about anyone else. <laughs> yeah. no, I, re- I, I wish Kerbal the best with what they're doing at Seven yeah. Dials. I think they've got a real challenge there. Mm. And just, again, I don't want to hark on about licensing, but as I understand it, and I, I, you know, I don't know what their business model is, but my business model would not work with the license mm-hmm. they've got. We pulled out of that site because we knew we wouldn't get a late license. We wanted a midnight. They have got, that's a two-storey venue, a ground floor and basement. They can only serve, as I understand it, and I hope I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't think I am, they can only serve alcohol with significant meal and significant was added in at the hearing. So that means you can't have a beer with a slice of pizza. You have to have the whole pizza. Oh, but who's going to be around policing this? So, yeah. And you can't drink anything after 11 o'clock, right, even on a Friday night, which is bullshit. And you can't drink or order drinks on the ground floor. You have to go into the basement. So you're in a massive high footfall area yeah. like Seven Dials and you've got all of those restrictions... Why are those restrictions there? Why will you not give these guys the opportunity to run their business safely, sensibly, you know, reasonably? Why can't you buy a beer or a glass of wine on the ground floor at the pasta place or the yum bum or the pizza or whatever you've got there? It's just insane, you know? So um, I, I don't know how much more scope there is in central London for us to do what we want to do mm. with restrictions like that everywhere I can see more and more market halls and those kind of venues happening in shopping centres and they're going into BHS for yeah. instance on Oxford Street and you know there's a demand for that yeah. people want good food new food choice of food and, and an interesting cool environment which yeah. they are providing I mean, is there going to be a, a bust at some point 
I think there's already bust in the real competition, which is the branded fast casual. Yeah. You know, our audience at Dynorama, right? In Shoreditch on a Friday night, we get thousands of people through, but they're not spending a lot. They're spending fifteen pounds on drinks and spending fifteen pounds on food. Mm-hmm. It's not a we're part of their night out. Some people we're all of their night out. Yeah. Some people that's the average. So some people are spending ten quid with us. Yeah, yeah. You know, five quid on some chips and maybe five quid on a can of beer. Yeah. You know, so um we're competing with KFC or a you know, or a Weatherspoons. Yeah. You know, or as well as a Wagamama and a Oaxaca and whoever, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's where the real com- competition is. Um, and, I, you know, we, in terms of atmosphere and energy and the sense of happening and community, we're offering a lot more than yeah. the kebab shop or Weatherspoons can. And really. I think the other thing I was wanting to talk to you about a bit was this innovation side, this... Um, being ahead of the curve, you know, so it's a brave man that, you know, buys a flat in Old Street back then or yeah. goes to the site back then or has the pint cocktails, yeah. TM um, yeah. and all that stuff. So where are you looking to, to know that the, are you just gambling? Are you just taking uh, chances? I don't know where any of that comes from. I, mean, I think, I don't know, I've always like, I don't know, maybe I've got, it's because I'm, I get bored easily or because I'm restless mm. or... I've got like an appetite for um, uh, new stuff. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what, but that is one of the things I kind of contribute to the business. I'm, yeah. I, don't, I remember I used to work with a colleague who said, "What you know, what are your superpowers, what are you contributing? And I think it's hard to describe what I contribute. I'm, I'm good at understanding how to use space and create, you know, exciting atmospheric venues. Uh, I think I'm good at bringing a team together and getting everyone sort of pulling and running in the same direction. I think what I like to do or what I try to do is find and hire and inspire good people and then generally leave them to it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of like, I might be the captain of the ship and say, come on board, lads, we're going that way. Yeah. Uh, who's who's with me? And then, you know, if you want to come along, yeah. you know, jump on. And then go for a tea break. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, along the way, you know, we might have to change course or we might have to, uh, whatever, but... Um, sometimes we've, we, I think in the 21, two years I've been doing this, we've been creating new things without necessarily thinking they were new things or the next thing without really realising it. We were just coming up with stuff, you know, and that comes from a team of people or two people. You know, when I was doing these food fights at the first um, Merchant Yard with with Adam uh, Layton, you know, we were sat around my kitchen table in Dalston Saying, well, what can we do on that Saturday? And what should we do that Saturday? And we literally come up with something. <laughs> yeah. And then what about uh, just trends going forward? You know, what do you see happening? You know, because everyone's talking about wet lead's the way to go now. The food scene's obviously having a hard time. You know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. What, what are you kind of focusing on or seeing out there? Oh, God. I don't know. I think um, I find it hard to think of anywhere... I've been recently when I thought that's a really good idea or that's going to do really well. Mm. There just seems to be like a little bit of a pause at the moment. Yeah. I think um, uh, Goose Island, one of the beer brands we work with, has opened a brew pub in Shoreditch. I don't know if you've been in there. I've seen it. I haven't been in it, but what I, was it? Yeah. I think they didn't need to put the, the, the brewery in there with it. Yeah. Uh, I suppose they couldn't call it a brew pub then, and that brew pub sound, sounds good. Yeah. But they've got these giant pizzas in there. I don't know if you've tried them. 
No. All they sell is beer and pizza, basically. So is it like the home slice size? It's, it's really big, yeah, and they yeah. chop it into sort of tiny little squares, like, you know, like five by five oh, centimetre okay. squares, and it comes on a big board. And this is for you sat around, you know, you've got your pale ale, you've got your lager, you've got your whatever, and you can just have a... And I think that works really well for that audience. Sort of the grazing. Yeah, sort of like and, you, d- you know, just grab a little piece of pizza, almost like a little snack size. I think um, I've seen that in America 25, 30 years ago. Mm. I've not seen it here. Um I don't think anyone's really doing anything new. They're just doing different versions of something that's happened before. And you, you see a lot of the, the, the vegan stuff coming in. I, I, I don't... Vegan for me feels like a blip rather than a trend because it's so hard to be vegan unless you're seriously committed. And so I don't think it's ever going to get the critical mass yeah. or momentum. It needs to become like a well-established trend as it were so it's like an option yeah it's got to be an option you've got to have it you know you've got to have it there but I don't think it's going to become that kind of like power force that people seem to think it is I mean I um, vegetarian is a lot easier yeah you know I can't I mean we did a a a vegan event in January called extravaganza and you know I really struggled to enjoy some of the dishes there and this was like the best people doing it and the thing I miss the most is like the cheese you know I mean Vegan cheese is, I don't know what, it's really, I thought it was really hard work. Um, so there's that. I mean, obviously, we've got to eat less red meat. Yeah. That's important. I mean, I was watching an economist clip on Twitter today about chicken farms and how you've got one computer running a, f- a barn that has like, I don't know, I think it was 40,000 chickens in it. And it was just amazing. Yeah. And how it's cheaper and they you know they only have to live 60 days and they're four, three times the size they used to be 10 years ago and you know and you can see people trying to do the five guys of fried chicken like Thunderbird is like yep. chicken you know and, and that needs to happen I, I, I wonder where they'll end up with you know at 20 and 30 sites and when it'll it'll just be the, in terms of the quality of the yeah. food it'll just be back where it has been forever mm-hmm. it feels like a bit of a beer cider yeah. race that ciders yeah. never quite you mm-hmm. know and I just I'd be so interested to see if one of them can crack it yeah you know I mean Thunderbird's got the best shot I see yeah and there's some great ones like Butchies is great Butchies and, is good, um, is good yeah. Other Side Fried is great I mean there's some really good ones but I don't know you know and, and when you get to scale whether it, it's it's going to kill it I, I, you know I mean there's all sorts of kind of things happening that um, you know nothing's really happened with Bow. And, yeah. and that kind of thing they've got three super cool sites in London mm-hmm. and you can see them wanting to hold on to that and not stretch themselves too far has Yumbun got you know more legs I don't know I don't think that's necessarily what Lisa wants to do yeah, yeah. it's up to her um, tacos haven't really yeah Mexicans you know not went it's, well it's you get Mexican restaurants yeah. and I think Oaxaca does a brilliant yeah, job yeah. but you know taco stands or I think Maybe a trend that might happen is kind of like smaller kiosk size. Mm. So a little bit of a street food mm-hmm. kitchen size, but in a bricks and mortar building, a railway station or, you know, yeah, yeah. little hatches and things like that, you know, that yeah. kind. So you're not, they're not high capex. You're not having to sit people down mm-hmm. and give them the whole experience. What they want is that short rib taco with avocado and radish and, you know, yeah, yeah. the hot sauce, or they want that. Fried tofu, young bun, you know, yeah. and trains are going to stink though. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they're going to be like signs like Japan everywhere saying, yeah, yeah. "Take your food home." Yeah. Um, so, last couple of things I want to talk about 
was just being selfish actually. So at the end of the podcast, we've been doing a little new feature, which is uh, mark out a ten, right? So we're going to be talking about your favourites, and uh, there's a worst in there as well. <laughs> Best city to eat in in the world? Oh, definitely London. Yeah, yeah. And then my second favourite would be uh, LA. Mm-hmm. And but I should add that I've not been to Tokyo in like twenty five years. Yeah, but. I don't think Tokyo's got the variety. They're mm-hmm. specialists and experts in everything they do. Yeah. But I think London absolutely kicks the arse in New York, definitely. Favourite restaurant? Oh, I don't have one favourite. Um, I mean, I absolutely love Lyle's mm-hmm. and I have since day one. It's my favourite place for lunch in London. I had an exceptional, another exceptional meal at the Clove Club recently. I mean, they, those bars are amazing. I love Luca. Okay. Luca in St. John Street. Uh-huh. Sit at the counter there. Nice bowl of rigatoni and a glass of Negro Amaro sorted. Um, That's L-U-C-E, isn't it? L-U-C-E. L-U-C-E, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Brat is fantastic. Yes, yeah. Brat's fantastic. Uh, so many restaurants. I mean, I love Hawksmore in Manchester. I mean, that's been so good to me. Um, I really love Carla in Manchester. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, honestly, that is, you know, if that opened in Shoreditch, it would kill it. Mm-hmm. Favourite dish ever? What's your desert island dish? Your go-to? I haven't got one. No? Nah. Um, uh, I tell you, the thing I probably eat the most is the lemongrass chicken curry and rice from Viet Grill. Okay. And I did a delivery of it once from here in the office and it was eight minutes from order to delivery <sighs> to my mouth. <laughs> eight minutes. Yeah. That's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. And it was still in good shape. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely was great. Was it kicked around? No, no, it was brilliant. <laughs> and then, favourite drink? Oh, I think, oh, God, again, I drink everything. I love everything. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I drink a lot of red, red wine with food. I mean, I, I drink probably too often and too much. Mm-hmm. And for a while, at the beginning of the year, I decided I was going to have a red wine-only diet and only drink red wine with food. So no beer, no spirits. Yeah. That lasted for about three weeks of that, and then I drank by three times the amount of red wine. It would just make me eat more so I can have the red wine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love Scotch whiskey. I love Japanese whiskey. I love nice tequilas. I I, I love craft beers. I mean, I love the, the, the craft beer can actually have at Dinarama. I mean, every time I go there, I try a new beer, and I love yeah. love an IPA, love a, just a nice lager sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, but red wine, I suppose. A lot. Um, and then last one then, worst restaurant. Ooh, ooh I went to my... I, oh, my memory's so poor. <laughs> where if, have you had a shocker? I've had a shocker recently. I'm trying to think where it was. I've had an absolute shocker recently and I can't remember where it was. Can I, you I, tell I, me we'll put it in the notes? Yeah, <laughs> what, normally when I have an absolute shocker, I'll put something on Twitter about it without naming it. Uh-huh. But just try and capture the nature of the experience. It's almost like the pop bitch newsletter. You'll see enough. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, all, often not enough for people to work it out, but really bad experience. And it's I have to say rare, like once every yeah. five years, because nowadays everything that opens, yes. everyone's really good at what yeah. they do. Far better than when you know than I started. <laughs> well, we'll figure that one out. Okay. Right. So we better hot fit it. Yes, please. To Aros. Aros, Aros QD. QD. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> um, so, listen, thanks so much for doing this, man. Um, it was long as well, so there's yeah. a lot of good value. Um, there's probably going to be another one at some point. Okay. There was too much to cover. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I think people will really enjoy it, and I'm glad to spend time with you. So, okay, you're welcome. Cheers, Cheers. Philip. Cheers. Thank you. (laughs) So there you have it. I hope you really enjoyed that. After the podcast, myself and Jonathan and a couple of other special guests went out for dinner at Aros QD, which is an amazing paella restaurant uh, from one of the chaps that's involved with Iberica. And it's with Kiki da Costa, who's a Michelin star many times chef. So try and check that out if you're around the Soho, Fitzrovia area. Really worth it. The original sort of Valencia paella was amazing. And the eel, interestingly, eel paella was amazing as well. The wine list was to die for too. So wish them all the best for that. Thanks to JD. Thanks for taking me out for dinner that night as well. Thanks for the time you spent on the podcast. It was just absolutely incredible. Thanks also to our sponsors, BDO, for helping us from day one and really supporting the Supersonic podcast all the way through. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help in terms of putting the podcast together. It's a real struggle every week to get it all done in time, so thanks for all of their help. So this is me, Mark McSee. Bless you. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to everyone who writes to us every single week. And I hope that this gave you enough value to make your brand boom. Boom.